so Genesis chapter 49, uh, we're, I'm going to read and I'm going to pick up in verse 1, but our text today comes from uh, 13 through 33. You can follow along with me. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you were up to you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not to their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal in the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So that's what he preached from last week. And so today we'll pick up in the rest of the text which begins in chapter 13, and this is where I'll be preaching from today. So um, follow along with me. Verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell in the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey. Donkey uh, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the paths that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall, be, shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall uh, yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough of spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you? By the Almighty, who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring prey and in the evening dividing the spoil. And so that was the blessing that uh, Israel pronounced over his children. I, I hope that we'll all be that eloquent one day. Verse 28 says this. All those who dwell in the tribes of Israel, this is what their father said to them. Then as he blessed them, blessing each of them with a blessing suitable to him, then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. 
in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, in the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the fields of Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is uh, in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. We good up here? Yep, good. Okay, excellent. Excellent. So um, a big shout out to Heath Harrell for uh, preaching through the first uh, few verses last week. He preached uh, through the first part of chapter 49. And uh, I, I just say this, it's the kindness of the Lord that there are multiple voices that preach at refuge. I'm telling you, it, it is a, uh, for us to be a church of the size that we are, uh, we have men that stand here and preach faithfully to a congregation that they love. Uh, and so that is Heath Harrell from last week. He's a chairman of our deacons and did a fantastic job last week. Paul Dacus, who is now our student director, stands faithfully and preaches when he's done it. He's new to this preaching thing and does a fantastic job. Paul McDade, one of our elders. Um, uh, Blake Arnold, one of our elders, stand faithfully and preach. This is the job that I do most of the time, but it is wonderful to have other men who stand here and proclaim, thus saith the word of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, they, they do a fantastic job. We have multiple voices, but we have one hero, right? His name is Jesus. We have multiple voices, but we have one message that there's salvation found in no other, but found in Jesus. We have multiple voices, but one hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's the message we got. That's the only message we got to preach to you, and we just preach it throughout the entire scriptures because that's what the entire scriptures are about. As a matter of fact, this gospel message, pre, I mean, it literally permeates everything that we do here at Refuge. From our kids' ministry, if you're new to Refuge and you're trying to figure out, hey, what is this, what is this church all about? What are they really trying to be or who are they? Or if you've been here for a long time and maybe you're just like, hey, what are we doing again here? Remind me of this preacher. Well, I'm going to remind you today that uh, everything we do is about, uh, about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. In our kids' ministry, if you have children that are from birth to preschool and even up to uh, elementary school age, when they walk, those kids have walked out of here, they're going to a classroom, and we use curriculum called the Gospel Project. And we use it because literally everything in there points to Jesus as the hero. When I was growing up, uh, in church, <clears throat> that's not the way that the Old Testament, the New Testament, or anything else was presented. It, it was min mainly, it was presented to me that you could be a hero and you could be better and you could do better and try harder and be good at like the people in the Bible did. And you know what? I was terrible at it. And so I couldn't live up to those kind of things. And so I hated church and walked away from church because I couldn't live up to what I thought the expectations were. But I'm not the hero of the Bible and neither are you. You're not the hero of the story. There's one hero, and his name is Jesus. That's what we're teaching your kids right now. So we're going to preach to you every week. That's so what we're going to teach to our kids. It happens in our um, music ministry. Man, what, well, these, these guys do a great job on Sunday, but they, they pour over music whenever we sing it. We pour over the music to go, is this the right gospel message? Because I've told you before, you're probably going to remember the songs we sing more than the message that I preach. 
Those things are going to stick in your mind a lot. And so the songs that you sing have been poured over to go, are these a gospel-rich message? Are they pointing us to the hope that we find in Jesus? And so our music ministry does a fantastic job with that. Our gospel community groups that we encourage you to be a part of every week uh, once you leave here, point people to Jesus. We serve and we reach others and we care for one another in our gospel community groups because that's what the gospel calls us to do, is to lay down our lives and to pick it up for other people people, to give our lives to other people. That's what we're trying to train and teach you to do as a follower of Jesus. And then in the preaching again, Jesus is the hero. If you ever get to the point where this is moralistic teaching from this pulpit, you need to find another church. If this pulpit ever becomes a place where it's all about you and you doing better and you trying harder to find another church, because that's not what this is about. This is about Jesus being the hero, about Jesus being our hope, about Jesus being the only rescuer that we have. Amen? Yeah. Um, so again, a big thank you to Heath and all our men who stand here and preach and proclaim the excellencies of the gospel. And so you may be here and you go, what is the gospel? What is the actual gospel message? In Christianity, and uh, in, in Christianity, the gospel or the good news is really about the kingdom coming forth, about Jesus bringing the kingdom forth. Here's what the text says in Mark chapter 1. Um, uh, it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus came talking about when he came talking about the gospel. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. The, the kingdom has come to earth and the kingdom is at hand. Now you repent and be part of the kingdom of God. Believe the good news of the gospel. Like I said, it's the only message we have. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. You may have that person in your life right now. You go, I'm not sure they'll ever, ever believe the gospel. But the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what, you've done, what you did last night. The gospel is the power of God for your salvation. That's what we're about here at Refuge. So if you're new here and you're looking for a church home and you're trying to find a place to plug in, uh, again, just remember, for here, there's one hero. His name is Jesus. Then, and as my friend Ray Ortland would uh, proclaim to his congregation weekly, this is what he would say, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who, who, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever will come, this church throws wide its doors and offers her welcome in the name of Jesus. Amen? That's for each of you. You're welcome here today and every day in the name of Jesus. All right, back to our text. That was just the introduction. So Heath preached last week through uh, uh, Israel's last dying words to his sons. That's what all this text was about in Genesis chapter uh, 49 was Israel giving uh, a blessing sometimes or just some, it, sometimes it wasn't a blessing to his children, but just kind of laying out, this is who you are. This is what your future is going to be. And he talked about the first uh, four children in, in Jacob's uh, announcement that he gave to his children. The first one he said was to Reuben, he said, 
Uh, Jacob said, because you went up into your father's bed, you will not have preeminence. I think that's fair, right? Uh, and he said, man, you, you, you messed up a long time ago, and so going forward, you will, not pre, you will not have preeminence. Then he said to Simeon and Levi, because of the bloodshed which they exacted on those who dishonored their sister Dinah. Do you remember that story where, uh, where uh, Dinah was defiled by a bunch of uh, men, and, and Simeon and Levi just went and slaughtered them all? And I think that I preached through that that time, I would have been like, I would have probably felt the same way. But whenever Jacob came, or Israel came to them, he said, because you shed the blood of many, a curse will be your anger, and you will be scattered all throughout Israel. And then he preached to Judah and said, uh, Judah was depicted as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who will uh, reign over his brothers. And, and Jacob blessed him with wisdom and kingship and dominion and eternity and prosperity. And that's where he that's where left off last week. And so in today's text, we're going to continue to look through this blessing that Jacob was uh, uh, pronouncing over his children. Let's look in verse uh, 13. This is what it says. He says to, he turns to Zebulun and says this, Zebulun shall dwell in the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. And so, you know, it's interesting as you read through this, we don't speak like this. We don't talk like this. Uh, we don't say these kind of things. So it's, how do we flesh through all this to figure out exactly what he was saying during the time? And, and so it's interesting right here that Issachar was actually born before Zebulun, but Zebulun was listed ahead of him uh, in this chapter of blessing. And so uh, in chapter 30, we saw that Zebulun was the sixth son of Joseph born to Dinah. And, um, and Jacob declared that Zebulun would become a haven for ships. That's what he said you're going to be. That's, that's going to be kind of your future. And, and even though that Zebulun's territory didn't really border the, the Mediterranean or the Sea of Galilee, uh, we saw, in the, we saw throughout the rest of the scriptures that sea traders would actually come through his territory. They would, they would pass through his territory. And so that kind of go, okay, well, that makes, makes sense about his prophecy towards Zebulun. He goes on and moves to Issachar. He says, Issachar is a strong donkey. Uh, and so some of you have some strong donkeys in your house. Do you? It's okay to raise your hand. There, there's some strong donkeys around and it happened in my house, you know. And so uh, sometimes you have to, to break those donkeys from time to time. Um, uh, but here's what he said about Issachar. Issachar is a strong donkey. Uh, say that with me. Strong donkey. Yeah, there you go. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between, between the sheepfolds. Verse 15, he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. And so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. So it doesn't necessarily uh, sound really good. It's kind of this ominous talking towards Issachar. What, what does this big thing mean as he's talking about Issachar? It says, verse 15 says that he'll be a servant uh, uh, or read it as a slave, actually, into forced labor. And it's really kind of hard to interpret because the reality is uh, his tribe was never really subservient to another people, um, but, his, but the name uh, of his tribe actually means man of wages. So I really got nothing on this one. Uh, so we're just going to trust the scriptures here. And like, I'm not sure exactly what he was saying to him. That's about as honest as I can be about that. Let's move on to 16. <laughs> 
Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. I wait on your salvation, O Lord. Uh, So verse 16 uh, says that Dan will be one who judges his people. And and it's interesting, it's kind of a play on words. Dan is the Hebrew word, same Hebrew word for judge. When you spell Dan, it's kind of spelled the same way as the Hebrew spelling um, for judge. But the thing I want you to see really is from verse 18. And this is really uh, uh, what what I want you to see about the way that uh, Israel felt about his kids and that I hope we feel about our children, okay? Um, Jacob declared, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Jacob was concerned about his descendants. In, in his heart, he, he longed for his descendants, for his offspring to know the Lord, for his, to know the Lord in the same way that he knew the Lord. And, and the reality is, without divine intervention, without divine intervention, and he, and he knew it in his own life, uh, the way he had seen it come throughout his entire life, but he knew that without divine intervention, that his offspring would not survive. And the reality, church, is we're kind of in that same vein. We're, we're in that same vein that we desperately need the divine intervention of the Lord for us to live, for us to survive, for us to be part of the household of faith. Each of us are desperate from the Lord for our own salvation. See, the reality is, church, you're not going to will yourself up enough, and you're not going to just decide on your own one day that you're going to follow Jesus. You're just not going to wake up one day and go, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. And look, I've done this long enough, and I've been in this, and I've read the scriptures long enough to know this, that I can preach my guts out up here. Whoever is standing here can preach their guts out. Your parents or your friends or whoever can cajole you as much as they want to, and they can encourage you as much as they possibly want to. But the reality is, until the Lord awakens you to the gospel, you're just going to be dead in your sins. You're going to be dead in your trespasses and sins. The psalmist declares this, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jacob knew this, and we know this today, and so we wait on the Lord for salvation. See, what, what, uh, what Jacob was saying here, I mean, what Israel was saying here was, I wait on your salvation, O Lord. It's like he knows that salvation comes from the Lord. But he was asking the Lord, he's like, I'm waiting on you to do this for my children. I'm asking you to do this for my children. I'm anticipating you doing this for my children. And we do the same kinds of things, right? We pray for our children. You better be praying for your children. You best be praying for them. You best be urging them to follow Jesus. You must be urging them to follow and give their life to Jesus. What we say around here is we pile kindling around our children, right? We pile kindling around our children, and we pray that the Lord one day will light it up. Because we can pile kindling around all we want to, and we can try to light it up, but nothing happens when we try to light it up. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen? Say that with me. Salvation is of the Lord. It is the Lord who saves. It is the Lord who calls people out of darkness. It is the Lord who awakens people to the gospel. That's what we believe here because the scripture teaches us until the Lord awakens someone to the gospel, the truth of the gospel, we will not come to Jesus. 
We will not decide one day that we will just follow Jesus on our own until the Lord awakens our dead hearts to that. Amen? Salvation is of the Lord. Who are you praying for today for their salvation? We're going to take just a few minutes right now, and we're going to pray for those people. Literally. So whoever it is that's on your heart that you've been praying for for years, that you've been praying for for two days, or whoever it is, we're going to stop right now, and we're going to pray for them. Literally, right? So let's pray. You pray, and I'll pray for us all shortly. Lord, you know these names. These names that literally all these people in this building are crying out to you. People who are watching online are crying out to you for the salvation of somebody that they know and they love, whether it's family or friends or neighbors or coworkers or whoever it is that they are, are listing their name to you, coming to you on their behalf, saying, Lord, save this person. God, we, just, we, we desperately know that salvation is of you, Lord. We, we know that it is you who saves, that, that nobody will come to you unless you awaken them to the gospel, unless you awaken their hearts to the good news of the gospel. And so we pray for literally every name that has been mentioned to you, every name that has been lifted up to you, not only here, but literally around the world even today, that names that have been lifted up, but specifically here, people that have lifted up names, God, we pray that you will awaken them to the good news. God, use us in ways that we can can share the gospel, that we can tell them the good news that Jesus loves them. And then, God, you be the one who saved. You are the only God, the only wise God who saved. Salvation belongs to you, O Lord. Salvation belongs to you. We wait for your salvation, O Lord. We long for your salvation for these people. We long for salvation for our friends and for our family, for those that we know, for those that we desperately want to see come to you. So will you do that, God? You are the one, you are the God who saves. You are the God who desires that men come to know you. you. So I pray that you will grant repentance and salvation to all these names that have been lifted up to you today. We pray all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Every the church said, amen. Amen. Keep praying for them. Keep asking. Keep begging the Lord. He is the God of salvation. That's what was pronounced here. I wait for your salvation on Lord. Look, look, look in verse 19. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid their heels. You know, this, is a, this is an interesting pronouncement that came. It's brief, but it's kind of interesting because it says that raiders will come, but Gad will get the last word in his enemy. That's the pronouncement uh, that he had given over them. Verse 20. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. What do you think those royal delicacies were? Like when you think of a royal delicacy, what do you think of? Shrimp, shrimp yeah. <laughs> Fried shrimp, boiled shrimp, shrimp gumbo, chicken shrimp. <laughs> shrimp creole. What else? What do you think of? What do you think of delicacies? Caviar. Caviar. So. Gas station chicken, yes, amen. <laughs> amen, my brother. He knows what he's talking about. What else? Fried lobster, amen. We just had that yesterday. What? Chocolate. Oh, chocolate, yes, chocolate, yes, chocolate. Chocolate. 
What else? What about from this side? It's the quiet side. <laughs> hamburger. Yeah, we go. Hamburger. Who doesn't love a good hamburger? That's what I'm talking about. Lamb. Lamb. Yeah. What up? Brisket. Cheese. Filet mignon. Filet mignon. Yeah. Raw oysters. Mm. Barbecue oysters. Barbecue oysters. <laughs> Charred grilled oysters. What I'm talking about from Drago's. Ooh, come on now. So that's what he says. He says, he shall yield royal delicacies. So a lot of these things we can think of, think about that when you read the scriptures, put some things in it so you can kind of see what he was talking about. And so Asher ended up living in this agriculturally rich uh, coastal region uh, near, uh, like, like north of Car- Carmel, and uh, he actually provided uh, gourmet food for the king's castle. So a lot of that stuff that you just talked about could have been some things that he provided. Who knows what he cooked? There's no, there's no uh, necessarily a uh, record of those kind of things, but he could have provided some of those foods that you actually just talked about. Verse 21, uh, Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears fruitful fawns, bears fruitful fawns. And so it's interesting that Naphtali was compared to this graceful doe. Uh, and really all we really know is that uh, Naphtali settled in Upper Galilee and really flourished there. And so uh, I'm not sure what that has to do with the doe, but uh, that's what the Lord said. So we'll just go with it. Uh, uh, then he goes on and he talks about Joseph. Now there's a few verses here, so follow along with me. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring his branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow, his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breast and end of the womb. The blessing of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart for his brothers. And so what is the word there that's just ongoing? What do we see? Yeah, blessing. He, he just continued to pronounce this blessing over him. And, and honestly, Joseph re- kind of receives the longest and the, and the biggest and the widest treatment in this kind of series of uh, pronouncements that, that were pronounced over them. And, and so many people see Joseph as this type of Christ who, who foreshadows Jesus who was to come, the blessings that would flow through him. And so uh, we, we can land there as well. And then lastly, uh, we'll see this. And Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. Uh, And so uh, Jacob declares that Benjamin, uh, the descendants of Benjamin will be aggressive warriors, and I myself am a good example of this. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, So that is, that's all the kids, and that's kind of his blessing, and that's the things that he said on his deathbed. And so the, uh, the chapter concludes with, uh, with Jacob's adamant instruction that upon, his, uh, that upon his death, he be buried in this specific cave, a place that he had, already, he had already pre-made his arrangements. He had already signed all the paperwork about this is where I want to be buried, and this is the plot number, and don't bury me in the wrong hole over here, you know. Um, and so he had already made arrangements for those things. And the scripture says, it was interesting that he says, he pulled his feet up in the bed, 
and he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So he probably was sitting on the side of the bed as he was talking about this throughout chapter 49, and it said that he just pulls, pulls his feet up in the bed. So I could just see him laying down the bed, pulls his feet up in the bed, and he dies. Not a bad way to go, right? Not a bad way to go. And so the chapter closes with the death of the third patriarch. And so this, this death of Jacob or Israel is, is not necessarily uncommon. I mean, many of us would like to know when we're dying, right? I mean, it'd, be, it'd be really nice to know that, that my death is near and, and I get a chance to say the things that I want to say and I get a chance to sit with my family like that on the edge of my bed or something somewhere and bring all my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids, I'm going to live that long, uh, uh, around and, uh, uh, and, and be able to pronounce a blessing over them and to say some kind things that, that, that hopefully that would be an encouragement to them uh, somewhere in their life. Um, to declare encouragement to them. But sometimes we don't get a chance to do that. So I would say take that chance. Take that opportunity. Fathers, mothers, spend time speaking blessings over your children. Honoring our children on a deathbed would be a wonderful thing to do. But what if we did that while we're still alive? Too often, we live in a culture um, that operates in shame and, and, and lack of honor. We find the things that we don't like about people. We find the things that we can say to shame people. We find the things that we can say to make ourselves feel better because we can find something wrong with you. Too often we tear down instead of building up and blessing. And usually when we lash out like that, it's because we're bearing some kind of hidden shame ourselves That we've not, never really dealt with, we've never really uh, come, to, come to, to let it come out in the open and be dealt with. And so it's very easy that if we tear other people down, then we just feel better about ourselves, Right? You don't have to agree with me, but that's typically the way that happens. The truth is this. Wounded people wound. Wounded people wound. You've seen it. You've probably experienced it. Maybe you've done it. Wounded people wound. But in a gospel culture where Jesus bears our shame, we can freely honor each other. See, if I don't have to wear my own shame, I'm free to say good things about you. If I don't have to live in my own shame, I can freely lift you up. If I don't have to live in my own woundings and what I've done in the past and, and all the things that I might have done wrong or, or, or the shame I might have had over some decisions I've made, then it allows me to free up to say good things about you. In a gospel culture, we don't have to bear our own shame. Jesus becomes our burden bearer. 
That's, that's one of the many good news around the gospel is that he bears our burdens. He, is, he literally is the burden bearer. We lay our burdens on him. We cast our cares on the Lord, Amen. right? Yeah. So we don't have to get, so when we cast them out there, if you're fishing and you cast your line out, where is your line now? Could be, I mean, if you've got it hung in your shirt, I mean, that's probably happened. But most times whenever we cast something out, where does it go? Away from us and not near us. So when we cast our burdens on the Lord, where are they? They're on him. Our burdens are on him, and we don't have to bear that burden anymore. And it frees us to honor one another. It frees me to say nice things about you. Even if, I, even if you've wounded me or you've hurt me, if I've cast that care on the Lord, it frees me to say nice things about you. You can say all you want to about me. But if I've cast my cares on the Lord, then you can give me some vitriol and I can give you some love. You know what I'm saying? You can come at me, bro, and I can go, what up? Hearts. You know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, we don't have to, we don't have to re- uh, re- go evil for evil. We can return good for evil. We can return kindness for evil because we've cast our cares on the Lord. Wounded people wound, but those of us who are in Christ Jesus, where he has become our burden bearer, we get to be the people in the culture today that say good and nice and kind things about that. Well, what do you mean, preacher, though, that, that Jesus bears our shame? What does that actually mean, preacher, that Jesus bears our shame? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, that we looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's from Hebrews uh, chapter 12. And so it says that in times like that, that we look to Jesus, the author, the, the, the one who wrote uh, our, our, our faith, and the perfecter, the one that actually put it all together, the one that completed it, the, the, the perfecter, he made it all right, that our faith is weak without him, that our faith is feeble without him, but Jesus is our perfecter. He gives us the faith to believe, and he gives us the faith to trust him, and it's his faith that we get. Uh, that uh, the perfecter of our faith for who, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and he despised the shame, which means he took that on even though it was, even though um, uh, uh, it was something that he endured for us on our behalf. He endured it on our behalf and now he is seated at the right hand of God ever interceding on our mind on your behalf. We don't have to be our own defender because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God defending us for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 and 5 says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in and of ourselves, because we're not, to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. See, we won't ever figure this out on our own, but our sufficiency our, this, all this grace comes from God. For us to be able to operate like this comes from God. We don't muster, we don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do better and try harder. That's religion. This says that Jesus has done it on our behalf and he bestows that upon us once we repent and believe the gospel. Tracking with me, church? Big difference there. Big difference. Way too often, 
we don't believe this truth to be true. Because we've segmented our lives so drastically, it's difficult to know God and the fullness of his grace whenever we just kind of give a wink and a nod to him when it's convenient or when tragedy strikes or when we feel like it. Your faith is anemic because you're just playing around in this, okay? Your faith is small because you're just coming to Jesus when you need a piece of him. You know what? I'll come get a piece of Jesus today. It's Sunday, so I'm going to go get my Jesus on today, right? I'm going to church, and I'm going to get my Jesus on today. Now, tomorrow, I got to go to work. I got to get the kids to school. I got to go shopping. I got to go into Walmart. I got to do all these things, and uh, I'll pick Jesus up again. Maybe, maybe tomorrow night, whenever I pray, I'll pick him up again. But you see, that's an anemic faith. An anemic faith says we just pick and choose Jesus whenever we need, we think we need him. We need him every day, every moment of every day. You need him when you wake up. You need him whenever you're making breakfast. You need him when you're driving through traffic. You need him when you're on your way to church. You need him whenever you're dealing with your kids. You need him when you're dealing with your parents. I mean, you need him all the time. Amen? Come on. You know you do. I do. So do you. R.C. Sproul says this. We do not segment our lives, giving some time to God, some to our business or schooling while keeping parts, of our, parts to ourselves. The idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the honor of God. And this truth is essential for you to know who you are in Christ. So Jacob's pronouncement over his uh, offspring essentially established their identity and set the course for the rest of their lives. He was pronouncing this over them, and he said, this is who you're going to be. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, a true follower of Jesus, repented of sins, believed the gospel, that Jesus is king, you've surrendered your entire lives to him, then the only thing that matters really is your identity in Christ. Not what your parents say about you, not somewhat teacher has declared you to be. Not what your life might have been before. But if your identity is in Jesus, I mean a true follower of Jesus, then what he says about you is what's true about you. Your identity is inseparable from the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Because why? Because that's where your worth was revealed. The most famous verse of the Bible, for God so loved you, God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, if you believe in Jesus, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Listen, for God did not come into the world to condemn the world. He did not come to condemn you, but he came so that the world might be saved through him. That's the essence of the gospel. God is not out to condemn you. You're condemned already. Listen, if you're here and you're outside the household of faith, you are not a Christian, then you are condemned already. God is not condemning you. You are condemned already. And the hope is found in Jesus, Jesus giving his life for you. God the Son laid his life down so that you can now live to him. 
Last thing. As Jacob spoke to his sons and talked to them about what their lives would be, um, he was giving them something right before he died. And, and so I, I would say this to each of us here. I, I want to speak this to you, and, and you're going to find yourself in one of these three camps, I think, that I'm going to just lay out for you. So I, I'm going to speak this to you. you you'll fe- you probably know this about yourself. First camp that you may fall into is the religious camp. You go to church sometimes. You give some money sometimes. You... Um, uh, read your Bible sometimes, or at least you carry one with you. Uh, and you're in a religious camp. You, you, you're trying to keep the, the, the facade up. You're trying to look pretty to people around you. You're trying to do enough to make God loved and like you. That's religion. It's exhausting. And it's useless. Religion is useless, okay? If you're doing it for approval, it's useless. We don't get our approval from what we do, Okay? We get our approval because God has given us approval in Christ Jesus. We are approved because Jesus laid his life down for me. Okay? I am approved because I'm trusting in the finished work of Jesus and not my own righteousness. Religion says I trust in my own righteousness and I'll I'll, I'll weigh the scales out and hope God chooses says I've done enough at the end of my life. That's religion and it'll send you to hell, okay? Secondly, you fall in the rebellious camp. I don't care what you got to say, preacher. I ain't about this religion stuff. I don't care what you got to say, preacher. All Christians are fake. I've seen enough of it. I've seen enough of it in my own home. I've seen enough of it in my own friends. I've seen enough of it in my own family. And re- religion is fake, and I'll just rebel against it all. I'm not even sure I believe anything you're saying today, preacher. You fall in the rebellious camp. There's a place for rebels. And it's called hell. Like it or not, believe it or not, trust in Jesus. Where you go, I believe in God, I don't believe in God. There's a place for people who don't repent and believe the gospel. And that is called hell. Eternal uh, punishment from the Lord. The wrath of God poured out on you. You got two options. You either live in the place where God poured his wrath out on Jesus. Or you will live in a place where God pours his wrath out on you. That's your options. Rebellious people end up here. And lastly is the relationship. You can be religious. It's a bad place to be. You're fooling yourself. You can be rebellious. You ain't fooling nobody. Bad place to be. Or you can be in relationship with the God of the universe. Every single person here needs forgiveness. We need mercy. We need a new start. And in the current climate in which we live, those opportunities are scarce. But with Jesus, that opportunity exists every minute of every single day. Even today, right now. No matter the direction of your life thus far, Jesus can and will change you for for his good, for his glory, for your good, and for his glory. My ask of you today is will you follow Jesus? Will you repent of your sins and believe the good news of the gospel? I'll invite you to do that today. Let me pray for us.